Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is a 12 Days of the Comic Source episode of a couple of creators who I've uh, become huge fans of and friends with over the last, I don't know, six months, I guess, since we finally met in person at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, and they're coming back to the show. Hope you all checked out the Star Trek Spotlight episode with Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. And they're back to talk about not only Star Trek, but also their fantastic run that's going uh, on with Captain America. And we'll touch on the recently concluded Batman Beyond Neo year as well. So, gentlemen, happy holidays. Thanks for taking the time. Hey, thanks a lot, Jace. We're really excited to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Our pleasure. I was going to say, it's cool. It's it's, it's cool to see you, uh, but we literally just saw you. So it's like, it's cool to see you, but like we were just hanging in person. So it was really yeah. nice. Yeah, exactly. So much fun at uh, LA Comic-Con. Yeah. Colin, sorry you weren't there with us, but uh, we we partook of uh, lots of art bag and it was a, uh, it was a fantastic. Yes. Uh, I heard you guys got into quite some mischief. Yeah. Did you, did you make it back there there on, on Saturday night? We so uh, what we discovered in attempting to go back is that they had changed the hours of the thing after the first oh. night. So the hours got earlier, which made it hard if we were going to be running our booth. Uh, and Colin gotcha. and I were really dedicated to running our booth at, at LA Comic Con because we had like a pretty it, it's been a while since we've done a home show, like mm-hmm. several years. So it was really lovely to like see our um our LA community uh and just interface with the other creators and just get a chance to to, to catch up. But the real, uh, I think, kicker for us was that our our Marvel and DC work has has effectively spanned the entire section of that period where we were off of cons. And so being suddenly at these shows and having fans come up, having, having people come up who know the work um, was very different kind of show for us because we're actually just used to like hand selling our books and doing that jazz. Um, so it was a different uh, it was a different vibe. It was really fun. Well, wow, but, really, we but it meant we were busier. <laughs> yeah, that, that's really great to hear. Uh, let me ask you this, Colin. Is there one one of your books? You know, I mentioned three of them. You guys obviously have other things you've done. Is there any anything that's coming out recently that it felt like was resonating more with people or, or you've heard about more, whether it be Captain America or Star Trek? Like what were people most excited to come up and talk to you about? Yeah, really interesting question. Um, so we we lucked out to a certain degree by being very close to kind of the central hub of the Star Trek fan community. Uh, so effectively, one of we inceptioned one of them, and then they just kept going back to their people. And it felt like, you know, we had a lot of foot traffic for Star Trek. And as soon as we start telling them about the book, um, they get super excited and buy the whole run, which is lovely. Um, but I think we had the most stop and talk about Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Absolutely. I think we definitely thought it would be Captain America. But um, the, the Terry McGinnis fans kind of came out of the woodwork. Wow, that surprises me. Uh, I mean, not that it's not a great... But but that that surprising. But then at the same time, I guess when I stop and think about it, because I think I told both of you, I know we we uh, discussed it on social media at least on Twitter. Was I was not a Terry McGinnis fan. I never never really related to the character. I never watched the cartoon. Um, and it wasn't that I disliked him, but I was just kind of indifferent, right? Which which is almost worse if you're a creator than somebody <laughs> hating it, right? At least you're right. engendering uh, emotional reaction. I guess. But your uh, your guys's take on him, I felt like it grounded him in a way and and made him a little bit more relatable he wasn't just this smart aleck like two-dimensional kid so uh let's let me ask you jackson what was your in where did you guys you know relate to terry what did what do you feel like you brought to him that that's kind of resonating with readers uh so it's it's interesting because i start like you um i didn't know not you know, in my in the current period, I know Batman Beyond. But when I was coming up and as a kid, I didn't get to watch Batman Beyond. Uh, so I only watched it in college. Uh, and then and then as I became older, um, because Colin and our friend David Server like introduced me to it. So it was actually kind of what's weird about Batman Beyond is that it's a foundational part of the early days of Colin and I's relationship. Like we used to watch it together. So um, I used to go up to his apartment and like we'd sit there on our little TV and watch, you know, <laughs> bootleg it must have been david's vhs's right or or, uh, or dvds but it was yeah but it was uh when it was brought to us we really tried to approach it not from the perspective of people who had seen every episode of the show and wanted more of the show because that's happened a lot and that's been if if you want those comics there are great comics in that regard there were great comics by adam beecham and uh by kyle higgins that like explain this stuff and go deep into Batman Beyond as like a TV show. What we wanted to do and and the way that we accessed it was to say, what happens if we start something new? What happens when, if we were going to try to bring people on the way that any new director who comes onto like a Batman movie 
would try to reintroduce Batman to a wide audience because we want Terry McGinnis to have a much wider audience than the audience of the show or the audience of the previous comic books. We wanted to take every person who's ever been into Batman or thought that Batman was an interesting premise and see what it was like when it was interpreted through a completely different man. If if it's not Bruce Wayne behind that mask um, and if Bruce Wayne is no longer in his ear. And so I think that was the big step that we took was was taking Bruce Wayne kind of out of the equation um, or certainly changing his his part of the equation and allowing Terry to stand on his own. Um, and I that so I think from a from a larger perspective, I think that's probably why it's it's hit a little bit wider because it was designed to. Like we really, it's like we built an engine to like try to be like, are people gonna, you know, can people access here to get us? And then I I think the reason that people have stuck around is that Terry is a wonderfully uh, em- empathetic person and character and has a lot more heart than. Um, certainly than Bruce ever like showed that he had, like Terry is a lot more open with his heart um, and comes from a more directly troubled background. So there's something about Terry growing up in not wealth, growing up with tragedy in his past, with incarceration in his past and coming forward into a time that shows um, how you don't have to lose being a good person to go through a hard time. Like he doesn't need to become Batman to become Batman. And I, I hope that that resonates right now as we're all going through a lot of really tough times um, with people uh, uh, in, in a way that feels timely, right? We want Terry to be a, a Batman for now. And, I, and so that's, I think, why it's resonated and why we're really excited to do more. Uh, like, we we want to get right back to Neo-Gotham as quickly as possible. Yeah, what's well, what's interesting is that there is that dichotomy. There's such a difference between, as you mentioned, Terry's background and Bruce's background. Here's, here's the thing, right? Like, Bruce in modern times, he has such a huge supporting cast now, the whole Bat family. Uh, you mentioned taking Bruce out of the equation. So let me ask you, Colin, um, you, you sort of have taken that supporting cast away other than introducing the, the, the officer, um, beam, beam Boonma. Uh, he, his, Bruce is gone. He doesn't have that large supporting cast. So all of a sudden you've got this guy that is more empathetic, maybe would be more open to, to relationships and working with people than Bruce was, but <laughs> kind of in this dichotomous way, he's, he's all alone. Yeah. And the other thing that you guys did was you, you took that, um, that sort of trope of Gotham City as its own character and took it to the next level and made it yeah. ascension. So talk about those aspects of the story. Yeah. Um, so it was really interesting, obviously. Um, our our watchword, our, um, our North Star for the series was year one. Um, we really wanted to strip all of that from Terry um, in order to let him uh, swing. You know, in the Nightwing term, we wanted him to swing without a net. Um, we wanted him to be able to stand on his own. And unfortunately, that did mean stripping away his family, um, found family and actual family. Um, partially narrative reasons. Um, we really didn't want him to be worrying about saving his mom or saving his brother. Um, we wanted to free him to worry about Gotham itself. Um <laughs> which was just really important. That is, you know, a key element of Batman. Uh, But that being said, a key element of Batman is also the found family that he develops. Um, You know, he is an orphan in his heart uh, and he, in Bruce's case, literally. Uh, And bringing those people around him slowly and organically and naturally is what kind of creates that Bat family. So that's one of the things that we are very interested in. you know, kind of talked about it a little bit before we started recording, but like family and lack thereof is incredibly important. It's a real interesting theme in our work. Uh, and in this, we wanted to build Terry an organic group that could really care about him. So we see that in Beam. We see that in Gestalt um, as a new ally. And we're going to be continuing that in uh, our next Batman Beyond uh, run, which we're about issue two issues in writing, which is going to be coming out next year, where effectively Terry will be meeting his Rob. Wow. Getting this I think that's an exclusive. I don't think we've ever said that before. Yeah. Wow. I don't think we've that's, talked said anything about plot ever. So there you go. Little, that's uh, fantastic. Little, oh, yeah, there will, there will be another character who will be fighting alongside him. <laughs> that's fantastic. And, oh. and yeah, I mean, and that, that is, it, you know, for listeners that aren't aware and, and you know, maybe not surprising because you had such a great reaction uh, at uh, LA Comic Con, a lot of people coming up. It, the, what you guys did was a big hit. Like a lot of people were talking about it. I think, uh, as, as we were talking about before Jackson, it really resonated with people that maybe weren't, weren't big Batman beyond fans, uh, before. So it's great to hear that you guys are, uh, are continuing on with the story. Uh, Gotham City, as I, I was uh, mentioned to Colin, will continue to be, uh, an antagonist, let's say. Uh, so one of the things that we did at the end of Neo Year is, uh, 
capstone uh that i think there's a there's a very specific sort of point at which um i don't want to give away the story for, for anybody who hasn't read neo year and is getting psyched about it listening to us talk but we sunset living gotham um without taking living gotham entirely off the table uh but i thought it was really important for us to not be locked to the idea that terry always had to have like an abstract protagonist um or a, or, or antagonist sorry um to have a, a villain that he could not really stand up against without leveraging the entire community of gotham um so that's which is the the the, the core arc of neo year in my mind it's 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 the idea of again spoilers um the idea of batman going from being a lone operation of individual resilience to a collective operation of like community and um resistance and i think that that it's very similar to what we were trying to talk about in gotham city garage um but that that interesting uh a lot of people like superheroes get a lot of flack for being like um in in like left circles for being fascist potentially right that you think about superheroes and they feel like fascist archetypes and uh a big part of our work in superheroes um uh, kind of consciously is trying to uh reckon with that in a not in like a negative way but in sort of a like we're trying to offer another version of that and i we're not alone in this i think a lot of superhero writers do this um try to offer an idea of what superheroes look like as members of community and as 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 uh as parts of a collective and as, as parts of families and um looking at what we all owe each other and trying to think of a different moral paradigm for superheroes which is a like very 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 heady way of saying at the end of batman beyond new year we're no longer trying to think about uh, the city and the people. We've said what we have to say about that, that sort of like larger political statement, and we're putting that down. Terry has learned what he's had to learn. The next story has to take a new vibe. It has to take a new tact. It has to take a new plot. Um, and uh, it's going to open up new territory. Um, you'll hear from us often that we get bored of ideas easily uh, insofar as we, we really like to like get on to cool new stuff. This is, I think, a... Uh, very much us taking you I mean, we're really glad people love neo year um we're, we're gonna switch it up again uh and have some fun yeah. in, a, in a kind of different direction yeah but, I think same, but same team yeah i think that's fair uh especially if we're talking about you know evolving the character and making sure that terry you know stays new and fresh to bring even even new readers on that maybe didn't get a chance to check out neo year but is it fair to say colin that even though you're kind of leaving that story behind the lessons that terry learned he's going to take with him moving forward, right? Yeah, 100%. Um, he has evolved as a person and he's going to be carrying that stuff forward. We're going to be seeing that right at the start of things. Um, one of the things that Terry is going is learning is, um, well, about opening his heart in a lot of ways. Um, it's about kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we're, yeah, we're taking those lessons forward. He's the same Terry that we love. He's growing, he's evolving, and we're going to challenge him like never before. Now you had a great, uh, artists on the series. Uh, is, is he going to be, was it Max Rayner? Was Ma that Max? Yeah. 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 Is he, is he going to be on the, the, the new title? Oh, that's fantastic. 100%. Yeah. Whole team. Yeah. We can, we can talk, we can talk about the team all day long. I just, we shouldn't get into too deep into plot because ultimately the book isn't even announced. Like right. we, 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 we've been being very, we've been being very chill um, about kind of being open about the idea that we're doing this book. Uh, but we, I, I, I don't want us to get too deep into the book because ultimately we, y'all don't even know what it's called yet. Wait till you see the, the, the cover. We got a whole, we got a whole yeah, load out again, ready to you go. Know, you know how excited I am. Uh, for you guys that you're, you're you're kind of headlighting here because again here's a character that's been around it's batman batman is the engine that drives dc even though it's not bruce and it's terry uh but it's fantastic and again it, it was just the, the the six issues were just so great and so yeah. uh, i can't wait for more but but yeah let's let's talk some star trek then and then we'll uh we'll finish up with uh with captain america but um right. when we had you guys on last it was to discuss this new uh eponymous star trek title uh, and you know, we learned that you guys are both huge Trekkies. I talked about my love of Star Trek, but that I hadn't even watched Deep, Deep Space Nine. I was working at man. I'm still on on TOS. I'm still in the, the original <laughs> series. It's so hard to find time. But Every that being later. said, I was like, I'm not going to wait until I've seen everything because you guys told me that this was something that anybody could dive into, even if they haven't seen. Uh, and I, I want to give you kudos that that is completely true now. TNG is my is my jam, and you know having Data and Beverly Crusher and Worf there, and obviously I'm aware of who Cisco is, and I watched some Voyager, so Tom Paris, 
Um, so yeah, I, I was on board and I, I really got what you were doing. There were a couple of things that you couldn't say or wouldn't say that being who the security officer was going to be and the, the big, huge, oh my God, who the engineer is. So yeah. for those that haven't read it, uh, I don't know. Do we, do we want to spoil? I mean, the second issue is already out. Yeah. Like it's out. Yeah. Yeah. So Scotty is the engineer. Mr. Scott is the engineer. Worf comes on board, leaves his post as a Federation ambassador to the Klingon Empire. And he's uh, a member of the team as well. So it's this eclectic crew, but so many familiar faces. So I got to ask, uh, whichever one he wants to answer, what was the reaction when the issue dropped and people saw Worf and people saw Scotty? I guess the second issue when Worf comes in, but yeah, uh, did people just lose their minds? Because I, I, when I saw Mister, I'm like, wait, Mister Scott designed the ship. Wait, wait, Scotty's there. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Star Trek fans have been, uh, I, I really cannot stress enough, like so welcoming to us um, over the course of like year five, and then now coming into this, um, and having them show up this hard for this book uh, has been. Uh, really remarkable. Like, yes, obviously people lost their minds. Um, we lost our minds. Like, truthfully, this is the the, the thing, right? Like, Colin and I, I remember the moment where we came up with the cast, right? We were, I, like, I, I remember where we were. I have, like, full sense memory for this. Um, and it didn't take very long. The trip of this cast is that we stood there for, like, 20 minutes and just every, we went back and forth. And like just pitched each other characters and yeah, the bridge we crew did it like a draft. We did it. We did it like a, a sports draft. Yep. Uh, and the, the original idea for the, for the engineer um, was we both, we had both pitched uh, on it. And I don't remember which one of us said, which, but one of us said Scotty and one of us said Miles O'Brien. And we both went, well, it's both. And so even in the original pitch, the idea was, Engineering was going to be a two-hander between O'Brien and Scotty because we were so jazzed to be working on this book that we couldn't not put all of our favorite characters in the book, right? right? We just couldn't help ourselves. But we needed, and we needed this, the fandom, the culture needs uh, Irish and Scottish engineers drinking for each other and just absolutely <laughs> blasting each other over like century-old uh, cultural piss-taking. It just felt like we needed to do it. Oh, someday we'll find a way. Um, but, I, but I think what was interesting about when we we pitched it out, sort of really thinking that we were going to get, you know, a lot of notes and a lot of this stuff rejected and, and, and nothing. I mean, they gave us every toy we asked for. They, they let us play with every character we tried to use. They were um, extremely down with the uh, decisions that we were trying to make. And we ended up looking at that as we were putting it and saying, like, maybe we should scale O'Brien out just because he brings, like, if he's there, we have to spend a lot of time with him. And we were looking mm -hmm. at our cast, especially once we figured out Worf and Defiant and all that other stuff that we were, that was, again, in that original pitch. Once we realized all that was going and we needed to spend some time on it, we were like, okay, well, we'll scale back to, we'll scale back to Scotty because we already have a lot of Deep Space Nine representation and we don't have, it's very hard to get TOS representation in the context. Um, and so, and then we figured we'd just leave that as a little, uh, as a mystery for fans because so much of the rest of it was on the cover. And because ultimately TOS is, it's the, you know, it's the OG. It's the thing you want to have there. And we knew that we were seeding Spock, which I'll also say like, giving Spock to Chris Cantwell and being like, you get to write Spock after two years of him being, I think just my very favorite character to write was uh, heartbreaking. <laughs> but once we knew that we, we, we could get a TOS voice, Scotty's just the best. He's, he's so much fun to write. Uh, James Dewan, his performance is iconic and his voice is iconic. Um, you can write his dialogue in like a specific way. So, you know, he's there before he ever shows up on the panel. Yeah. Um, like I, uh, I loved it. So I didn't get to see a lot of Trekkies in my life be like Scotty, but I'm really glad that it happened out there. I trust that it happened and that people saw it um, because we felt that same way when we were writing it. Well, being such a big TNG fan, you know, and being aware that Scott, yeah, Scotty's around for those that haven't watched. He, he basically is in this ship that's the life support's failing and he sticks himself in a transporter and like, 
disables some of the stuff. And so he stays in this loop and he's like tra- trapped there and uh, Jordy and, and data rescue him. And, and so he basically sort in a way sort of time travels and he he's around, he's still spry and still able to, to serve. And so, so that was fantastic. Um, talk about bringing Worf in uh, Colin. Cause again, that wasn't sure. something that was, uh, you know, that, that I expected. I was, he wasn't even on my list and I don't know why I just, I didn't, I knew he was kind of off the table, you know, over uh, back with the Klingons. And I don't know, I just didn't consider him. Yeah, no, well, good. We've surprised you. Um, Worf is, uh, I mean, Worf is a day one pick. Worf is my favorite Star Trek character. Um, You know, I know he's a lot of people's Star Trek uh, faves. He is intensely complicated and incredibly, um, incredibly focused. He's like this incredible role model for so many uh, of how to harness your rage and your wrath and um, and in a lot of cases, your guilt. Right. He's a man who carries around incredible amounts of guilt for things that he's done and things he hasn't done. Um, But he still wrestles with those things and he still chooses every day to put on the uniform and serve. Um, And I think that is just incredibly powerful. Um, Obviously, as we are also wait, let's see here. I'm thinking about when things are coming out. Uh, His role within the Klingon Empire is super important. Um, Like we you know, he has always been this kind of vision on. on the Empire, which is in a lot of ways a reflection of the Federation itself. Um, so he just sits at this interesting spot where he should be your Wolverine, right, or your Raphael, um, but he's reached an elder statesman perspective. He's reached a point of maturity in his career where he should really be making the correct decisions. And what we get to play is the idea of what happens when those you know, correct decisions start to fly in the face of you know, orders, because um, he is mature enough now to stand for himself and to stand for his positions, um, which is just really cool. So effectively, um, we knew in Worf we had an incredibly powerful uh, force on the bridge uh, and one of Cisco's oldest friends. So it was a no-brainer that he was going to be on our team. Uh, we just wanted to keep that a little holstered uh, so that fans could get that issue to sweetness. Yeah, and it was. It, oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just, I was just gonna say, and obviously, he is our lead-in to Defiant, um, which is the spin-off book, and we still, we, we've still not revealed how that's going to happen. But fans know just from the, you know, the art that they've seen and the, and the, uh, the announcements that have been made that Worf is going to, to Colin's exact point, right, have to start choosing between what he believes is right and the orders that are coming down his way. And when that splinters him off into a completely different angle on Star Trek, right? And we start to see what Star Trek looks like as a line. We wanted to anchor that on Worf. Like, that's how much we love this character. He's he's the center of our plan. Like, Cisco is the lead. Cisco is the protagonist of, of I would say, the sort of entire comic Star Trek universe right now. But Worf is, in, in many ways, uh, sort of a, uh, uh, going to open up his own uh, he's the realm yeah. of this thing like he's he's the linchpin uh, this, isn't, this isn't a buddy cop movie no like, uh it would be great if it was but it is not well uh, it's it's funny if you're reading captain america you'll see that we're we're right. playing with very similar concepts in very different ways um colin and i love telling story i mean perhaps to no one's surprise <laughs> we really love telling stories about friends going through crisis like our current deadlines. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's the other here, here's the other thing that's so interesting about about Star Trek. I and I told you guys this last time. I've dipped in and out of Star Trek comics over the years. Obviously, this is a property that started in another medium, and so often it, it goes the other way, right? Like we talk about, hey, it's this great comic, and then we're f- huge fans of the comics and the characters. And it makes it to the big screen, and obviously, you have to change things. It's a different medium, and things don't always land. And you kind of have to make allowances for that. Here we're going the other way. It's this huge, rich medium in film and television. And you guys are are bringing the flair and the feel and these familiar characters. And you're doing a great job of balancing all these different things. Because, again, it is a big cast, but it does feel familiar. We see the crystalline entities in the first issue. Again, TNG. Um, R.I.P. Concept. Yeah. And it's so interesting to me because there are so many concepts in star trek you know we talk about it the original series as being sort of a trailblazer in terms of diversity and all the things that gene roddenberry brought to it um 
know, we, we look at the Klingon Empire. And to me, the Klingon Empire is that mirror to the Federation. In a way, it's sort of anathema to what the Federation is. There's some essays uh, in the books. We talked about that as well, what Jake is writing. And there's, you know, a mention in there, a write-up on the Klingons about how they, for being an advanced civilization, they still settle things, you know, with blood rights and, you know, archaic yeah. dueling and, and that sort of thing. And yeah, that's Worf. That's his, you know, he's got that foot in each world, you know, belongs to both, belongs to neither. And in a way, he's sort of an uh, a mirror of, of what Cisco is because Cisco's been gone and now he's back. And Holland <laughs> just got his batleth off the wall. That's amazing. Um, so how my, my question is, how challenging is it to, to fit all that in? I mean, you, obviously, you guys love it love Star Trek. We've talked about that, but it's got to be a challenge to, to keep that balance, to keep that. Or, or do you just love it so much that it's easy? No, no, you correctly hit it on the head. It is a challenge. Um, like this is, this is a big book with a big cast and not a lot of page space uh, to tell the stories that we want to tell that also um, meet the, the, the quality demands of Star Trek. Right. Because Star Trek, as we you've said, you just said it, Star Trek cannot be a chase sequence. Right. Like in Batman Beyond, we have a lovely issue with just Terry and the Sword of Gotham fighting their way down the side of a skyscraper. And it's freaking rad. That is not a Star Trek story. Star Trek stories touch on many characters. They're filled with emotion. They're filled with scientific thrill and mystery. Um, and hitting all of that kind of stuff and telling it in a nice contained little 20 page story yeah, it is a challenge um, for sure. It's a, it's a team book, and a team book is always going to be a bit harder. Um, than well, you have the expectations book. of the Star Trek. We've as Star Trek fans, you know, I count you among this. We come to expect a certain level of of quality and you know emotionality in the storytelling, and and in and intelligence in the storytelling. Now well, that's going on you guys to get that right. I you know, and that's the challenge of it. Like that's really truly the reason why you jump into this or don't right you star trek is a specific writing challenge because it sits somewhere between a procedural where you need to tell this full story and a deep character drama where you need to understand these characters as they go on in the case of star trek normally seven season long character arc journeys so that's a lot to ask uh, of a television show, it's even more to ask of a comic book where you have genuinely less time, like you have less space uh, to tell a full story in a, in a single comic than you do in a 45 minute, you know, hour long television show. Mm -hmm. So as a result, when we're trying to figure out how to turn this stuff into, you know, something that is, works for all of those things, I think we can psych ourselves out. What Colin hit on, um, I think, pretty early in our run, and I, I got really psyched about it, was that in in year five, we used to have to do these structural deals where every two issues was an episode of television. And that's how we tried to replicate the experience of, of, tele uh, of Star Trek. Enough room for some action, enough room for some drama, enough room for a nice, intelligent problem. And ideally one that's been stress tested by Colin and I. So it is hopefully a, a cool idea and feels like a nice Star Trek um uh, thing and that's us just having to accept that you know we're we're only going to be able to do the best we can do so we have to believe in our work right but obviously it's easy to psych yourself about star trek when we got into this we realized this format can work however we like star trek is it is a comic book first uh it is not a uh television show first for us right now right so the, the star trek flagship book is a comic and that means it has to use the language of comics it means it has to be able to do one shots it needs to be able to do experimental issues it needs to be able to do three issue four issue six issue arcs it needs to be able to do crossover events uh like we're doing with day of blood next year like star trek needs to be able to accommodate all of these things and so what we try to do is just keep an eye on what flavors we've used recently and use the other ones, right? If if we do a really intense Klingon issue in issue two, we're going to do a fun Q romp in issue three. And then we're going to go into, I think this is, is I'm not sure if this is like announced yet, but like we're then going to go into like a, a three-part arc uh, starting from four to six, where you're going to see a whole episode over a longer period of time. So we get to sit in a conflict for a little bit. We get to sit in one plot. Um, and then in our next arc, 
who knows, man, we're going to, we, we might do a full. Well, we know. Uh, yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Don't um, get you guys in any trouble. And don't no, 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 no. That's the point. Yeah, like I, yeah, I'm trying to be as vague as possible, but that's, I think the, the fun of Star Trek uh, as a comic for us is freeing ourselves of the expectation to try to be the TV show and instead be the very best comic we can be. Yes. 100%. Using these characters that are so kick-ass like just using some of the best characters that have ever been on television um and treating them like the avengers uh bringing them together doing different stuff and and, and hoping that we end up with um uh, a, a um a worthy book at the end of the day like i hope at the end of the day star trek fans can read this and think that it is a worthy addition to the star trek canon um and that, wow. that's all that's all i can hope from what i've read so far i would 100 percent say that it that it is and you, you know you guys told Thank me you. last time that it's you're going to bring in all these different eras and, and you're really going to feel it. And I heard you and I believed you, but I still wasn't prepared. I was like, man, when I was reading the first issue, I'm like, man, this really does pull in from every era. And you it, you just nailed the feel, you know, so, of so many different eras, which I, I really enjoyed. And again, I, I haven't even watched it, watched it all, but it, uh, it really resonated with me. Uh, but in terms of one more Star Trek thing, and then we'll, we'll talk about Captain America. Uh, and then I'll let you guys get back to work. Uh, but this idea of this mystery, uh, you know, Cisco being sent on this mission from the prophets, but already losing the, the you know, the memory and, and kind of the intelligence, elevated intelligence he had when he was uh, on that extra plane of dimension with them. Um, is that mystery something that's going to, I imagine it's not going to be resolved quickly. It's something that's kind of the backbone that these other sort of arcs that you're building that go in different directions and different tones that that's the through line the the fundamental mystery who are they after what is the mission so to a certain degree yes right obviously we are not going to uh to the surprise of no one uh some of these mysteries are going to be held until maybe perhaps a large event like a crossover but um we got some really interesting uh advice i think it was even from tom brevoort or someone uh when we first started uh doing some marvel work which is hurry the hurry up Um, (laughs) in comics especially like you know because there's a month between issues if you draw a mystery out too long people are going to get tired um Mm -hmm. you need to give them that hook to keep them coming back and it's so important in comics so that's one of the things we kind of wrestled with so what we can say is that fundamentally by the end of the first six you are going to know who how why The only thing you won't know is what next. Mm. Uh, But we want to answer these questions so that fans can stop saying, uh, I I wonder what's happening and start saying, wow, that's so fucking cool. What's happening. I can't wait to find out next. Yeah. And even if we get the answers to some of those questions, Cisco's still a guy that's trying to adjust, adjust, right? Like those answers don't actually solve the problem. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Those answers just illuminate the way. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay, I, I, I get the, you know, why it happened or who's behind it, but the big, the big why, you know, the yep. questions of existence, the questions, you know, those philosophical questions, which again, is something that's so inherently Star Trek asking about, you know, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean yep. to, you know, even beyond that, you know, cause obviously so many alien cultures, but to have humanity, to have empathy, well, it, to care about people. Star, Star Trek creates uh, a concept of humanity as a universal construct. It's the thing right. that Gene Roddenberry um, believed in really hard, right? It is that more than I think anyone in popular culture has. It's it's why Star Trek means what it does. Because uh, Gene Roddenberry, for, for, for all of his like wildness and, and his creativity and his faults, and just he's, you know, he's, he's an amazing man. He's like a really incredible sort of historical figure in my mind. Um, but on top of a lot of that, like the most important thing that he ever did to, for, for me as a, as, like a, as like a person, I feel like as a child, he like did this for me, was he made one of the core goals of life, like one of the core things that you're supposed to just do every day in your everyday life to be to find humanity in things that may not have humanity, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or, or, or that you have been told may not have humanity. So um, like I watched... Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of the episode off the top of my head right now, but the um, the TNG season six episode that introduces the exocomps. Uh, I watched it a couple of days ago, the, the weird little floating things that they yeah. run into lower decks uh, with peanut hamper. Right. Um, and the exocomp, that whole episode is all about data, like looking at a wrench and being like, I think it's alive. And everyone else being like, no. okay, data, 
No, no but that's, not, that's a cool thing. It's not everybody being like they're not alive. The Federation doesn't do that. A normal television show, the idea would be Data's the only person who believes they're alive and everybody else would be telling him that he's crazy. In Next Generation, Data believes that they're alive and Picard immediately takes it seriously. He calls a meeting. He has Data explain his points. He forbids any more labor with the exocomps and then proceeds to spend 30 minutes of time in the show either investigating it or enabling the investigation. And then like, and then like, then like Riker helps and Crusher helps and everybody gets in on helping data prove this thing. The only person who's saying no is the person who created them, yeah. right? Yeah. Is, the, is the person who's trying to use them for their labor because Star Trek is at its core, a super humanitarian and relatively communist effort. And so I think it's really interesting when you like show these, these, um, these people in the future who don't have the same, biases that we do who don't have the same who don't jump to the same conclusions we do who don't jump to cynicism like we do and instead embrace humanity and other people and uh embrace um uh goodness and like the uh, sort of allow that that stuff is probably there is it at the core of it potentially naive when viewed through like a a present day setting maybe but they would i think star trek answers that by looking in, at us and being like no we're not naive you are savage and yeah, like exactly. we can, what what if we were better? Yeah, um, it's 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 aspiration. It's aspirational. It really is. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I I'm just I feel like we've owed Star Trek our whole lives. So this is us like trying to pay it back. <laughs> yeah, my favorite part about that exocomp ep- episode is the exocomps probably show their humanity best. Right at the end, like what's more human than sacrifice? You know, one of them sacrifices itself to you know stop the explosion and, and saves the rest. Like. I mean, how can you not know that it's a you know ascension at that point that it's alive? That's that's yeah, I love that episode. It's a great episode. Yeah. I hadn't revisited it in many years, and I was yeah. I was really impressed. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, let's uh, talk about Captain America. Uh, I, can't, I can't say it's my favorite thing you guys do because I just love everything you do. But I, <laughs> you know, I was certainly excited to talk to you guys about it at Los Angeles Comic Con, especially the Winter Soldier special. I have it on my background here. Um, they gave us kind of the origin of the the Outer Circle. And uh, we talked about the fact that, yeah, these, these are the, these billionaires, like when you, you reach a certain level of power, you, you reach a certain, certain level of wealth, you're bored. What else is there to do? But, you know, kind of play games and, you know, be the puppet master pulling the strings. Uh, that's not really a, a place that we're used to seeing Steve, right? Like he's a powerful guy. He's so, um, so autonomous and to, you know, to have him there up against this organization that is so Machiavellian and so powerful and has its roots in his origin and in Bucky's origin. Um, when when you and Colin were developing the idea, Jackson, was that something? I mean, is this the Captain America story you guys always wanted to tell? Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, so it's interesting. The uh, We've been talking about, about this a little bit now that we're deep enough into the plot that we that we can expose on this a little. Um this started as a Winter Soldier pitch. Uh, it was when when we first came up with it. It was a we'll never get to write Captain America, but the the idea that looking at his shield, which is this symbol that you know is ostensibly supposed to stand for America, but I I, I challenge you to look anywhere in America and see that symbol. Right? We don't have three stripes around a uh, around a star in our national. Uh, sort of symbol context, it, it actually isn't there, right? It was created for Captain America. It's his iconic symbol. And we were like, well, what if we look a little harder at that? Um, what if we look at that symbol and, and see something else? Um, what would you see? And then what would that mean to Steve to have to like unpack that? Um, but we were like, well, Steve is off doing his thing. He's thinking about the symbol. What better place for Bucky than to learn this lesson and have to dig deep into his friend's symbol and see the undersea, the, like the, the CD undercurrent that sits underneath the Captain America legend and kind of have to scrub that up because that's what Bucky sees himself as, as like the, he's the seedy underbelly of the Captain America legend. And the idea of him getting a place to go and be heroic in that space felt really interesting to us. And Alana Smith, who we'd pitched it to, came back to us and said, guys, I love this pitch. We, we can't do it right now, but this is a really cool pitch. Maybe someday. And then when she came to us to pitch Captain America, we were like, well, do we have the goal to pitch her the same thing? And we're like, well, you know, she did say she likes it. <laughs> so, and, and the neat thing is with Steve involved, it's a totally different story. 
Exactly. Right? Because suddenly Bucky doesn't need to do anything behind his back. Bucky can't be, in effect, like the white knight of Steve's dark shadow. I just made that up. Ooh, I right? like that, though. Bucky thrives on being, on making the deadly choices so that Steve doesn't have to, um, which is easy when Steve doesn't see you doing it. Right, but right. As soon as you start to make those choices in front of Steve, it's like quantum, it's quantum Rogers, right? If he doesn't see, if you don't observe it, it is, uh, it can be many things. But as soon as he is there, he knows right and wrong when he sees it, which has put them in this place where we have Bucky and Steve on different sides of the shield, as it were, um, in a way that really illuminates it. So it's like, is this the story we always wanted to write about Captain America? Like it is our oldest story about what we want to write about Captain America. Um, but what we have always been interested in is the push and pull of friendship when friendship especially goes sour. Um, that yeah. moment when you look at your best friend and realize that they're, you got to, you got to cut this loose, that they're going to be a toxic influence on you is incredibly painful. Obviously I haven't cut Jack loose yet, I mean, <laughs> yeah, thanks, bud. <laughs> but you know, um, there's other 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 parts in your life, and Captain America stands for so much virtue that we knew that we would need to cut him down a little bit. We would need to see his blood because he can't just be a symbol. Um, so, in that sense, yes, this has absolutely always been a story that we wanted to tell with Steve Rogers. Um, the Outer Circle is just the coolest idea we've had lately. Well, well but I mean, I think that also just to answer the question to the to the origin of the outer circle um in the original pitch the star points were as far as we went we were like it's a map to the 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 order of the world and at the center are these five people who've been used to shape world events and and it's bucky's realizing he's one of them and then he has to go deal with the other four and that was sort of the original pitch it was like what is it what are the on the other star points um all these things that were basically made instead of steve when because it was supposed to be steve steve was supposed to be the whole star and when he turned out to be Steve freaking Rogers and unmanipulatable, then they were like, okay, I guess we'll have these spies instead. And they had the five. And so it was a way for us to look at stuff like protocide and like all these like weird, like Captain America things. But ultimately when the book came to Steve, he, the the star points were less interesting in some ways. They were not, not in terms of like being the direct antagonist, being the end of the mystery. They were the cool thing that Steve could fight. They were the way to get Steve into forward momentum and action and let him do the thing that he's great at, which is Captain America, right? But to challenge him ideologically and morally, we had to look outside that and look into what is in that circle. And that's where the outer circle came from. And thinking about what are those three stripes? What do those mean in our world? How do we look at our world and see the, the Captain America symbol, and then what sits at the outer circle of our world. And that was as far as the pitch went initially. And then when they when they came back to us, Marvel, and they were like, hey, we're really serious about this, but you know, you guys are new, so can you write this whole thing out? Can you tell us your whole plan, like in detail? And we made this a 20-page document that that is effectively the, the backbone of our Captain America run to this day. Um, that document was the first time that we were ever uh we ever sat down and much like we did with uh star trek just sat down and said okay what are the forces that actually run our world go and like colin goes like i don't know power and i go yeah and money and we're like cool and like art right like like art and culture and we're like okay so there's something for that and then uh technology and it's like, yep, technology, cool. Yep, that makes sense. And then you're sort of thinking, like, what doesn't sit under all of those? And you're like, well, re revolution, right? Like, like the like upheaval, um, the uncontrollable force of change. And then we looked at those five. And we're like, well, those do basically to us reflect an understanding of what actually runs our world. Those are five characters. Yeah, five you points. know, let's let's build that out. And so suddenly we had yes, the star points that he could punch, but we also had the outer circle that he could have to outwit and outthink and outfeel um, and uh, uh, that could be the reflection of Steve's humanity. That uh, could be the thing that is, that, that is um, like you say, uh, that has too much money and uh, has lost its connection to um, the whole uh, and is just well, doing stuff for itself. Well, the thing, I think the reason that the outer circle may be Steve's greatest, greatest antagonist ever, right. Is because these are, these are, yes, they're embodied by, you know, individuals that are members of this council, members of this this circle, but they're forces, right? There's something that are inevitable. And yes, how can Steve stand against that? But yet that's who Steve is. That's what makes him 
so heroic that he will, you know, stand against inevitability, even if he has to, for what he believes is, is, you know, moral and, and what is right. And, and yet, and I, t- I told you guys, you know, part of what really got to me about the last issue was to see Steve for the first time, maybe that I can remember this chink in his armor because the betrayal by Bucky was so unexpected and it ran so deep and it goes back to, you know, Bucky's at a place where he's, his strings have been pulled for so long. He doesn't even, was I manipulated from the time I was in the womb? Like he, he has no idea who yeah. he is. And, to, and like Colin was saying earlier to have that betrayal right there in front of Steve's eyes, like yeah. Steve is at the lowest point maybe he's ever been at in his whole life in this latest issue. And that, that was hard as a Captain America fan. That was hard for me to read. Uh, but yet, yeah. again, it's engendering reaction, which is, you know, what the best kind of art does, right? Well, and it's, to a certain degree, it sucks for us too. Like, you know, there, we would love nothing more than to just be writing a big four color Captain America story where he has, does absolutely nothing but like kick the Red Skull in the face. Right. But that's not us. Well, and right? it gets boring like, after a while. You can only read that so many times. Yeah, well, exactly. We, we've all read that. That's why we love it, right? Nostalgia is a hell of a drug. So, yes, it is always more fun to just, or it is always fun to just play the hits. They're hits for a reason, because they fucking kick ass. Yep. But we are not here to play the hits, and we can't be a cover band. So... And when we have our druthers, you know, the thing that we knew as soon as we started work with Carmen on this, um, one of her watchwords was like, let's just take him out of the suit. Please, let's get to Steve. Let's talk about Steve, which is what we wanted to do as well. Yeah. Um, and as soon as you start looking at his life, you realize the tragedy in it. Um, like I, We don't, from us to the fans, we also do not want Steve Rogers to be sad, but we're sorry. He has to be sad right now. That is yep. how you grow as a person. Yeah. Uh, it, I, yes, can't say it any better. Um, literally the, the, the point of that was, uh, I, I think the point of what we've tried to do beyond Steve's like sad life here is to recognize that, um, people get sad and that Steve is a person yeah. that, 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 it, you know, I understand that Captain America is a symbol. Um, but one of the things and I think it's one of the great things about Chris Evans, period as Captain America, like in popular culture that like Chris Evans got to like play this character is that Chris played him a little sad that there was something that Steve had lost um, after the war and that, and after Bucky and that the, the inherent tragedy of the character, that inherent sense of like, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm out of time and I will never be back in time is so um it's so rich but it's something that the comic book character while he has certainly dealt with and 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 i I would say some of the greatest steve periods are periods where he had to go through a little bit of self-doubt so that he could come out you know the other end with a with a stronger message and a stronger understanding of himself which is you know spoiler alert our entire intention here we're trying Mm -hmm. to get steve to a point where he can reclaim that symbol right i think that's obvious he he is he is holding someone else's symbol but to get him there, if he were to look at the outer circle with no, ch- as, as you put it, like 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 uh, uh, chicken's armor, right? If he looks them in the face and goes, this doesn't phase me at all, Captain America, then um, I, like then what could possibly, fa- then, then, then there is no challenge left for Steve Rogers. Like, yeah, well, there's he, no relatability. Exactly, because any person who learned this, who learned that they were manipulated, would have this problem. And the point is, most people would react like Bucky. Yep. Like, most people would be like, oh, I will burn you down for what you did to me. 100%. And Steve is sitting here trying to operate with the better angels of his nature, and now his best friend is on the other side of it. Now now he, when he looks and, and, and tries to think about, like, not burning that down, he's also thinking about how his friend is inside of it and shows it over him, right? It's like the... If he wasn't sad now, this character yeah, could never ever, be sad. Yeah. yeah. Um, when would he ever? I mean, the, ulti- the ultimate betrayal. And here's the, other, here's the other thing about like, as a comic fan, I I, I generally dislike retcons. Um, not to call anybody out, but like the whole idea of the Court of Owls, like they're, they're great visually. I love the talons or whatever, but Batman's the world's greatest detective. And yet this secret organization for decades worked in Gotham City and he didn't know like what? You guys didn't contradict anything. And in fact, pulled from things in the past, like- kudos to you guys for really making this fit 
that make perfect sense. And I think, uh, again, uh, it just, it, it, the, this outer circle could be like the greatest antagonist that, that Steve, uh, will ever face. And to talk a little bit about what you were saying, Jackson, about some of the greatest eras, when we talked about this at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, you know, my favorite era probably from about 270 to 300, when we had Bernie Rosenthal and Arnie and uh, <laughs> Steve was working at advertising agency, you saw him a lot yeah. out of the costume yeah. and you're like, oh yeah, you're going to get plenty of that. You know what? Be careful what you wish for, Jace, because I didn't know I was going to get get it th- like in this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's that there's that page um, where he goes through all of his places from issue one, but now they're all desaturated. Yep. Uh, and I just I love that page. That is beautiful. Uh, I, I get to be a fan of that one because Colin wrote that page. So I'm like, I just I just get to look at that one at the outside and be like, ah, oh, it's so good. He will be for what it's worth. Um, it is going to be it's the 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 gear shift between arc one and arc two is going to be felt fast and immediately. Yeah. Um, We got to spend a lot of sweet time in arc one, taking Steve apart and really looking at his community and looking at his home there in, uh, in Manhattan. Uh, And while we are in no way not doing that in arc two, um, we're pouring gas on the fire. And though he wouldn't like it, um, he will be wearing the suit much more in the second arc. Um, Oh yeah. Like, yeah, to. we've already seen the the first issue of the second arc. You know, right, Sharon right, right. Sh- shows up and kind of kicks him in the butt and says, "Hey, you're gonna wallow in it. You're gonna do something about it." And uh, getting able to, yep. you know, getting to see Black Widow and Hawkeye and uh, you know some of these other uh, longtime allies of Cap is is really great. So. Uh, new new version of the invaders that I hear you say that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They 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 debuted on a cover, so I feel like we're allowed to say, um, yeah. Uh, Steve's going to be pulling together a new invaders uh, and uh, figuring out what that looks like um, for a very specific purpose. Uh, th- this is not necessarily a team that's going to like last forever, but it's it's a this is a, a, a sort of specific purpose team that plays around with what were uh, the characters that we've been setting up in our arc, as well as some characters that we've been big fans of that feel like they have a a part in this conversation uh, like Nick Fury, um, a man, again, whose life has been like defined by the military industrial complex, but in a really different way than Steve's. So feels like he has something to say, you know, um, obviously Peggy Carter, who uh, people who've read our Winter Soldier arc know is now a double agent um, inside of Steve's camp, but technically answering the Bucky. Um, like there's a lot of just room for uh, uh, obviously uh, Roger Aubrey, the destroyer um, coming uh, out of retirement. Uh, into this, like our new character uh, redacted, who uh, uh, one of the star points who Steve uh, uh, turned in issue four uh, through goodness and compassion and and, and all those uh, values that we talked about being his like greatest human values. And so now we wanted to take a lot of that civilian stuff and transport it into a superhero world. And this is where we get to play with uh, a a new side of the outer circle, um, which is the last and final star point. Uh, over the course of the first arc, as as I said, we we go through stuff pretty quick, right? Uh, we went through four star points in arc one. New Destroyer, Bucky Barnes, Peggy Carter, redacted. One star point remains on the board um, that we've not yet uh, revealed, though now Marvel has revealed it, uh, you know, uh, obviously, so we can speak to it a little bit. Um, but they're showing up in, uh, uh, in issue eight. Uh, he's on the cover. He's terrible. Uh, he is uh, Modoc, the mental organism designed only for control. Uh, that's Modoc with a C. So we're uh, our our mission is to make Modoc scary again. We are in uh, uh, very much uh, stepping into Modoc to try to do something new and scary and weird. Um, we keep pitching it as like a mortal Hulk Modoc, uh, and what nice. it looks like to do that with uh, Steve and his sort of like optimistic superheroes and push those two things against each other. Which sounds like we're going to forget our characters in Manhattan, right? It sounds like how how possibly would David and Arlo and all these characters like, you know, Hudson like fit into this. But um, they're very much present in the book. They have a huge part to play in arc two. Uh, they just won't get to like live their normal lives the same way. Uh, because as people have seen in issue seven, uh, AIM just took over lower Manhattan. So yeah, they're, uh, they're about to get thrust into the middle of the war. It sounds like you guys have a big challenge ahead of you keeping the balance. You know, we talked about the challenges of Star Trek. Uh, this first arc, really, we, we could say, Colin, it really kind of an, an espionage story, you know, a spy story with these mysteries, who's pulling the strings, that sort of thing. 
with the second arc, Invaders arc, leaning more toward the superhero, but the espionage is still going to be there, and I imagine will come back and and rear its head at, at some point as well. Is that the challenge finding that balance between superhero and spy story? Um, yeah, for sure. Um, there there is definitely a challenge there. Um, being able to unveil slowly edge out a mystery while still giving you your delicious superhero um, uh, breakfast cereal, right? <laughs> but I think the thing that we are really um, interested in, really going to get excited about, uh, which was a challenge, but a challenge we love, is bringing a flavor uh, that we often bring to our books, which is just a taste of psychedelia. Um mm. We like to journey inwards into our characters' minds. Um, we like to know what they're thinking in very literal ways. Um, we want to see what their dreams look like. So through the kind of story that we're telling, we were able to weave those elements in, uh, in a big way, which is cool because that's not necessarily a flavor, right? We're changing the game on you. Right. It's not just espionage. It's not just superheroes. It's actually a taste of... Um, a little bit of the mind palace uh, and have a little bit of that kind of more surreal exploration. Uh, so, you know, hopefully fans of ours from Joyride or Zojikon or some of our more um, esoteric works will see some of that. And I hope that the flavor is going to mix really well with the rest of the story that we're telling. Um, I can't really think of any time anybody's gone down that path with Steve. So that's, that's interesting. At the end of Brubaker's time on the character, uh, when he brought Steve back to life, Oh yeah. You're, uh, yeah, that uh, that there was a the, the idea that was that Steve was trapped in a nightmare machine, right? And yeah. um, uh, of uh, of um, Doctor uh, Faustus's design, if I recall, and um, Sharon had to help like get him out of it. Uh, but every time that we went into his world, he was going through this. Um, it's the one time that I can think of that they've done it with Steve, and and it it's such a great place to put him. Uh, we couldn't help it. Yeah, but nice. also, but I'll say, it, Steve is not actually the character who really shines in a psychic space. Uh, a, a, the we have another character who gets a a wonderful moment out of that that I'm really excited for people to read. It's some of the craziest stuff Carmen has ever drawn. Yeah, and that's that's the secret <laughs> weapon too. Is like what we do. All what we're really doing is just saying, "Hey, Carmen, um, drop some acid and go crazy." <laughs> <laughs> this is this is not this is not an admission that Carmen Carnera does acid while she draws. Yes, she is uh, a fantastic Caveat. artist. Yeah, you. Caveat. I mean, you guys really lucked out with all the artists on all your. Uh, oh my god! Did we ever? It's. It's truthfully, it's like uh, uh, every time that we get paired um, these days, it feels like we've just been blessed. Um, Carmen was the first name out of our mouths on this book, and it happened to also be the name that was on our editor's lips. Like we we looked at each other and we we're like, three, two, one, Carmen, basically. <laughs> like it was just wonderful. Um, and she's done nothing but elevate this book with every page. I don't think this book would work without her i mean i think that's obvious um at this point like her sense of superhero scale and design and her ability to do just a book where people just act it reminds me of like uh mark bagley on ultimate spider-man where you didn't need to be in these huge fights every issue you could spend 20 pages with uh peter and mj like in a room uh, and and the art could carry that, and, the, and and hopefully then the dialogue could carry it, right? With Bendis, it could. I, I you know we try, um, but I think that's the beautiful thing about uh, working with Carmen is that we've never given her something and been like, I wonder if she can pull it off. Like, yeah, her action scenes are are fantastic without question. And, and signature. Yeah. She like built a signature for this book. I've never seen a book like uh, do that. She's amazing. Now we're just writing her opportunities to do that signature. Yeah, she's so fantastic. And here's the thing, and a lot of people will oftentimes give artists credit for giving a lot of emotionality with facial expressions, and Carmen can knock that out of the park as well. The thing that I don't hear people necessarily say about her work that always stands out to me is the emotionality she brings to body language. Like, especially this last issue, we're talking about how Steve felt so beat down. You could see it in the slumped shoulders and his body, like, that's a, a quintessential artist that brings that level of detail that mm-hmm. level of character acting to, you know, her visual storytelling. So yeah, she's, she's fantastic. Can't say enough good things about her. I, I saw a meme that was uh, just um, in one of the shots of the whole group of spies that Sharon and Steve bring together and Hawkeye's there and he's sitting 
in the wide shot, he's sitting with his back to the table, like kind of around, and he's looking, he's looking like over his shoulder up at Steve. It's like a it's like who sits like this? But Hawkeye sits like this. Yeah, it's like exactly. somebody tweeted out, and I think it was like it was like I uh, I uh, Clint Barton can just does not understand how to sit in a meeting. And he's like, he's like got his back to the whole room and he's like sitting across, but it's so clearly Clint. Every person is sitting like they would sit. Every person is operating like they would operate. Like much there's a oh god. I was just gonna say it's about intentionality. Like she yeah. doesn't, there's no wasted strokes on her page. Everything yeah. is a choice. At no point is she just like, they're standing here, so they're standing here. It even comes down to her hands which so many artists hate to draw, but Carmen thinks about how everyone is holding their hands at all times. Uh, and she does hand acting as well, which is huge. Um, she just, yeah, she, she, she sees the character behind the, the, behind the, she sees the person behind the character and writes and draws them, which is yeah. really smart. Well, guys, it's been great chatting. Uh, I know we could talk for, for hours more, but I know uh, deadlines loom. So uh, as we're finishing up here, uh, why don't you remind everybody, uh, where they can find you online and you guys love to hear uh, fan feedback uh, on, on um, issues and, and what's coming and love interacting with your, uh, with your readers. So we'll start with you, Jackson, where's the best place. Uh, you can find me at Jackson Lansing. That's L A N Z I N G easily misspelled as either Lansing or Lansing, but Lansing um, on, uh, on Twitter, or you can find me on, on Instagram. I'm trying to get better at that in the in the year of elon musk's twitter but i, I don't know yeah, if i'm fair, i'm just fair. very good at it uh but i'm found in the wild on instagram yeah uh yeah million dollar or maybe billion dollar idea right twitter without elon like i know right elon just just has just just, just hack the twitter api that. yeah i know right you'd think somebody would be doing that yeah they're they're trying it's called yeah. hive and it could not handle the sheer <laughs> the sheer amount of people who wanted to be off twitter yeah. Uh, speaking of though, I'm at CP Kelly, uh, on Twitter. So feel free to come say hello there, uh, and share with me any of your garbage memes you have made. I love <laughs> the trash. Love the memes. I, I also, uh, can I, can I plug something really quick? Oh, hundred uh, percent. Just a, a book that is coming to, um, it's coming to FOC. So I want to see if, if people can, uh, uh, get on board it. Um, lesser known fact about us. We are doing, uh, DC has been doing this, um, uh, run of uh, one shots called One Bad Day. Started mm -hmm. with the One Bad Day Riddler. There, there's an incredible one by uh, uh, Jerry Duggan recently and Mateo Scalera uh, for Mr. Freeze. It might be one of my favorite Batman stories I've ever read. Um, certainly one of my favorite Robin stories I've ever read. Anyway, we're doing Clayface. Uh, Clayface with uh, Zermonico, the uh, artist from Flashpoint Beyond, who, uh, if you don't know what he's up to yet, you will see in Clayface that he is, he is probably the best acting artist uh, at DC. It's like it's, it's un unbelievable. We, we work with incredible artists, as you just pointed out. And like, I, I mean, his work on this book is scream worthy. It, it, it's unreal how good it is. Uh, we're, we're super proud of this book. It is very weird. It is very different. It is the ultimate Clayface story. Um, it's also like a distillation of 15 years of, pent up Hollywood frustration from Colin and I, like, it's like a little fucking, it's, it's like, it's like our, um, I don't know. It felt like a ritual. This book is awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Uh, I hope people will go to their store and make sure that they order it. Clayface is a lesser known villain. He's not necessarily the one who's going to get your big numbers. He doesn't have a movie. So, uh, as opposed to like freeze or, or, um, uh, Joker or anything, I mean, obviously jokers one bad day is killing joke. And that's beside the point, but, we would love people to show up for this book. I think they're going to find something um, really worthy and and worthwhile. I, I, I'm really happy with how this is turning out. And um, I just want Zermonico to, to get a, uh, just a huge boost because what an incredible artist. I can't wait to see what he does next. Even if you think we are garbage. Yeah. <laughs> if you found this interview insufferable and yet somehow you are still here, please. <laughs> Well, I can't wait to to read it. Uh, Check out one bad day, Clayface. Yeah, no, knowing that Basil is a, a frustrated actor that has that Hollywood angst that uh, you guys have experienced as well. Yeah, uh, has me more excited than ever to read yeah, it. Of course, all of our demons. We just it, pour all of the black bile that's been festering in our chests uh, into. <laughs> you think Captain America's sad? Yeah, <laughs> which is but it's uh, great uh, because Clayface is a villain, so mm -hmm. he can be a piece of shit. 
And like, that's good because that's sometimes the only way to survive in Los Angeles. Yeah, 100%. Well, again, I can't wait to read it. And and listeners, as you know, will be covering in our weekly DC spotlight when it uh, when it finally lands. So thank you. Uh, gentlemen, thanks so much. Happy holidays, uh, whatever it is you celebrate. Hope uh, it's a joyous time. And to you listeners, the same. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Kwanzaa, whatever it is you celebrate. Hope you get to spend it with uh, friends and family. So thank you for spending a little bit of your holiday season with Jackson and Colin and myself. Thanks for listening as always, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.